Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, well, I, I think it was like the Jays won the second inning and the Astros won the first. So they're playing. Uh, I think minor leaguer made a joke after my tweet that if those first past the post, they'd be tied. But he threw 15 pitches. How many sliders, Josh? 14. <laughs> if it's working. Read the room. And they did. They did. <laughs> you pulled up mine. <laughs> And welcome to episode number 265 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we're busy making funeral arrangements for all the baseballs Matt Chapman has hit this year. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, as always, by the effervescent Joshua Housem. How's it going, Josh? I like that one. I like. We should just go with effervescent every time. It makes me feel happy. <laughs> he's he's in a bubbly mood, folks. At least as long as as long as the Jays are ahead tonight. Uh, we have. A few things to discuss. Um, we're, we're jiggling the schedule just a little bit, so we, we get back to recording on Wednesday. So, uh, series win over the Rays uh, with Kikuchi, of course. And then Manoa was very bad, which we should probably talk about because it's a thing we keep having to talk about. Uh, then the Jays go into Houston, and Gaussman is arguably worse than Alec Manoa, which doesn't make any... I, I don't understand... Like, I don't believe in the power of jinxes, but if I did, man, I would feel like we jinxed Gaussman. Then Chris Bassett came out of it uh, looking fantastic. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, Matt Chapman and how he is destroying all these baseballs. Uh, Vladdy, although he wasn't doing poorly, he didn't have any power until the night before our recording here, uh, the the Tuesday night. Um, Romano had... A wonderful strategy against the Astros for his four-out save, which we'll discuss. Uh, we'll talk about the second-base battle, which you seem to have put in air quotes here, Josh. 
<laughs> hmm, why could I have done that? And one roster move. We have a couple of questions from you guys, and um, we get a gold star for Sportsnet, which we don't we don't often get to give them a gold star, but it's gonna happen. Just stick around. We shall begin. Hang on, uh, hang on. So just stop. You you started flickering. You want to hear? Just play it back on your end for a bit. I wait till you finish this thing in case you thought it was okay. So yeah, we begin um, with the the defeat. Of the undefeated Rays was our last podcast, uh, the, and then they did it again just to prove that it wasn't a fluke. Behind- yeah, and then I think we were actually part way through the first game when we started recording. I think Brios had just come out with the injury when we when we started that one. Yeah, so I mean, it turns out uh, the hundred and sixty two and zero season was not, in fact, in the Rays' reach, which doesn't seem all that surprising to me now, in retrospect. <laughs> But it was on the back of Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi that the Blue Jays managed those two victories, which is kind of a light at the end of the tunnel thing, right? Yeah, I mean, the tunnel, we might be going into it backwards, <laughs> given the way the rotation went the last time through. <laughs> uh, yeah, because then we came out and, and the Sunday afternoon game was Alec Manoa, who has been the opposite of an ace this year. Um and if you compare Chris Bassett's velocity last night versus with Manoa's on Sunday, the fastball is, I think, about the same speed. When... Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, the fastball, the velocity wasn't really the problem. It's just he had no command. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he started that inning. Didn't he, he might have hit the first batter of the game. Yep. And then walked the second batter, and he walked in a run. It was really, really bad. Um, he almost got out of it. The Jays, <laughs> going back to the end of last season, those two out pop-ups over second base are just their killer with the bases loaded. <laughs> they have but, all, uh, all kinds of different people who could who could get in there, but apparently no. <laughs> yeah, just perfectly placed. But, you know, when you walk in a run and leave the bases loaded, you leave yourself open to things like that. Uh, and... He he righted the ship for the set for the second, third, and fourth. Looked really good. Actually, he looked really good for once he stopped walking runners in the, in the first. But and then it fell apart again in the fifth. And that's just not what we're used to seeing from Alec Manoa. I mean, so I, I tweeted this out, but last year he had zero starts where he didn't go five innings. This year he's at three of four. Yeah, it it's you know it's worrying because. Um... He really hasn't had an extended string of success, and it does seem like both a control problem and potentially a, a velocity problem on different days. Um, so I don't know what you do for Alec Manoa at this point. You just run him out there again? I, I don't think they have a choice. I, I think that if he's throwing with the stuff that he has, you have to hope that he figures out the command. His stride length looked like it was a little inconsistent in his last outing, which, I mean, they talked about that on the broadcast too. If that's all it is, that's very fixable, right? That's just a mechanical thing early in the season. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we saw last year with another pitcher in this rotation, sometimes that stuff just stays bad, like with Jose Barrios. And, you know, Chapman had a massive jump in workload last year. Sorry, Chapman. <laughs> Manoa had a massive jump in workload last year. So we can't just dismiss that fatigue is an issue or that there's some other thing, but it's still too early to assume anything like that. 
Yeah, it is difficult though to, to roll him out there without you know your heart in your throat at the moment because uh, because of all of these struggles, and you really were depending on him to be at least good consistently, not um, an absolute liability like he has been. Yeah, I think one of the bigger issues has been he just well his slider is going down a little more than it was last year. It's like a little it's, the movement profile is a little different, but also he's just not getting them close. Or they're right over the plate. <laughs> that that slider just out of the zone that he was throwing so well last year, it's not there this year, which makes it – he's basically a fastball pitcher. I mean, he has a changeup too, but he needs to start finding his, his slider really to take that step. But I do think he can do that. So what happened to Kevin Gaussman? I, I mean, that just <laughs> – it's just one of those starts, right? Like, <laughs> He's had he had one last year too. I think it was against Tampa, but or or maybe it was Texas. I can't remember. But you know, like pitchers have those. It's he he was just horrible for an inning, you know, and it just went really fast because it ended with a three run homer. All of a sudden they were down seven nothing, but then he was fine for the rest of the game. And it's, it, you know, like you just wash your hands of that. Gossman has been excellent. He's been the only guy who's been go, you know was really good in his first few starts. So I'm not worried about that. That's just. That one was just baseball. Yeah, I'm not worried about it, but it was it was jarring to look up and see seven runs on the board in the first inning. It's like, well, on the road, even at home, that's a tough hill to climb. But on the road, you're probably just buried yourself permanently. So it's it's a question of does he he's going to wear it? Does he tax the bullpen? Um, and he he did get into the fifth, which was when you give up seven runs in the first. That's not exactly a given. So. He did a good job to because the bullpen was really taxed after Manoa's short start the day before. So he did a good job at least giving them a chance. Yeah, I mean, you take off the first inning and it's a two-two game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it was like the Jays won the second inning and the Astros won the first. So if they're playing, uh, I think minor leaguer made a joke after my tweet that if those first past the post, they'd be tied. <laughs> a little Canadian content. Yeah, a little new new system we're using. Um, and then Bassett comes out, and, and again, I think sort of uh, we think of Houston as a very good offensive team, um, and, and Bassett had a rough couple of first starts, six and a third innings of just stuff all over the place that Houston could not, could not line up or square up in any meaningful way. He went nine up, nine down. Yeah, and, and in the end, he went six and a third or six and two third shutout innings he was excellent i, I mean that's exactly the chris, the chris bassett that they thought they were getting a guy who's just gonna throw seven or p- eight pitches at you around all in basically a 10 mile an hour speed range maybe 15 but just you know 92 going left 92 going right 92 going straight you know it's, and when he's commanding that he's going to be tough that, that's basically the hyunjin ryu model from the right side they showed uh, an interesting graphic on the broadcast um, where they took his fastest pitch versus his slowest pitch, uh, and they showed when the fastball reaches the plate that the curveball, the super slow curveball, is actually 12 feet from uh, from reaching the plate. If you were to if you were to try and time your swing, uh, now obviously there's hitters have very good pitch recognition and they're not going to be 12 feet out but the idea of having a 12 foot spread is kind of an interesting like visualization of of the difference in speed from the hitter's perspective 
Yeah, and I meant that comment about the, the 15 mile an hour difference. That was the exception, right? The slow curve he would throw sometimes came in as low as 71, I think. <laughs> yeah, one of the slower curves in baseball. Um, and then um, the other thing I thought was interesting last night was when he did get runners on and he started to slow down and take a walk down the mound, he got very, very close to pitch violations on multiple occasions and he was going to have one on a 2-2 count and Kirk called time and went out to talk to him and I'm pretty sure he literally told him you need to speed up because um, the next like three pitches he was over five seconds left when he had been rocking back on the rubber at one second left on the pitch clock which I think is interesting to think about guys who know that they're fatigued and are trying to buy themselves every single second to get, you know, their arm a rest in, during a long inning. Yeah, I mean, that is sort of a veteran thing. And actually, going back to Manoa, that was a thing Manoa would do a lot last year. And, you know, that that is the thing that people are worried about a little with him is that he's had to go a lot faster. Because he was, I think, I saw a thing in that it was he was in the 90-some-odd percentile for slowest workers when there was runners on base. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. And, and back to Bassett, though, he had some praise for Kirk and the way he's handling working with Bassett the last couple times out because Bassett calls his own pitches, but that can be a challenge for the catcher to some degree because they're used to a certain kind of rhythm. But he said that Kirk's been doing really well with it. Yeah. I, I just, it was an interesting little interjection on Kirk's part, right? It was like, okay, we don't want to be 3 2 because you took too long. So I'm going to fix it. And then I'm going to try and fix it for the next couple of pitches just till we get out of the inning. And then he came back the next inning and he was, he was quick again. Um, it just, it hasn't come up much as a, as a real like conscious decision on the part of the pitcher to be slow. A lot of times I think guys get distracted when they get a pitch violation, right? They're thinking about something else, but Bassett seemed to be intentionally keeping it, you know, the maximum amount of time he could. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Let's talk about something fun. Matt Chapman's fun. Hang on, hang on. We got one more picture we have to talk about. Okay. You say Kikuchi. <laughs> we, I mean, we, we went over Chris Bassett's game. Oh, <laughs> you say Kikuchi's was a freaking gem. Um, by doing, by doing what, Josh? How did he? How did he work his way into a gem? He did what he's been doing all season. And I, we talked about this at the last episode where his his outing against the Angels, where he ended up giving six over four and a third, was a little deceptive because he only walked one batter. He has only walked one batter in each of his starts. And there's a little Robbie Ray in there in the way he's attacking with the slider because he didn't face a single left-handed batter. <laughs> you know, the Rays, the way they do things, they just load up on, on the platoon side if a guy has a history of platoon issues, which Kikuchi does. And he was just pounding them with fastballs up and away and sliders down and in, and they were just completely hopeless. They got the the one solo home run, but other than that, they accomplished absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, and I I think we we've said that if you say Kikuchi were were to pitch strictly speaking to his talent level, you know the stuff plays. Uh, it's just that weird things happen when he can't quite find the zone or the pitch mix that's working for him. So yeah. kudos to him. Uh, and uh, as we said, the upside down rotation. So Kikuchi and Barrios were uh, great. Bassett was incredibly solid in Manoa and Gaussman stink. Just the way we wrote it up in. <laughs> just the way we wrote it up in practice. 
Now can yeah. I talk about somebody fun? Yes, you can. Wait, well, hey, Kooter's fun. All right, yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> Matt Chapman. Um, I'm. Do you know what the number two hundred and forty-two? Why that's important? Or sorry, two hundred fifty-two. I think it's live updated. Two hundred fifty-two. Why is that an important number? Is it his WRC plus or something yes, like that? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that that there's only one other player over 200. It's a, a Luis Arias at 207, and he's hitting like 500. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Matt Chapman is slugging 785 on the 18th of April. Yeah, and it's he's just continuing what we talked about on the last episode, using the whole field. Uh, this was so Ian Hunter at Blue Jay Hunter looked this up last year. He had three opposite field extra base hits. And he played 155 games. He was very healthy. This year, in 17 games, he's got four. And he had a home run to the opposite field last night. Again, recording this on Wednesday. This Matt Chapman is dangerous. Now, he's not going to hit 430 or whatever. He might not, he's probably not going to hit 300. But he might hit 280 or 290 with his power and his patience. That's a superstar batting line. Even if he if he can do that, if he can keep using this approach and getting to his power the opposite way, he's not going to have so many pop ups on the infield on these pitches that are on the opposite on the outside part of the plate. Yeah, I mean it, Matt Chapman, seven win or eight win player, is within the realm of possibility if he's uh, if he's using the whole field. That is a superstar, right? For some reason, Fangraph still doesn't like his defense. <laughs> yeah, well, so early in the season, especially, it's going to be a little skewed. He's made a couple errors, and there was a play, which I'm going to get to, actually, when we get to the very end of this podcast, where at the in the, in the game on Tuesday that he kind of screwed up as well. He made an amazing play earlier in the game, but when you have misplays in the small samples, they're very... They, they, they skew the numbers, especially because for an infielder, it's hard to get big pluses on any individual play. Like an outfielder, can, like when Kiermaier robs a home run, it's like four defensive runs saved. Or so it's a full defensive run saved on one play. An infielder can't do that. Right. Um, but nevertheless, even with that, he leads, uh, he leads the league in Fangrass War at 1.4 with on the ridiculous Terry's on. But... Um, again, we don't expect him to, to do, you know, two, two wins per month would be a bit out of even Matt Chapman's, uh, expected range, but yeah, to, to have a trio like Bichette, Chapman and Guerrero as your two, three, four at, at some point you would expect that one of them is always hot. You would hope. Yeah. And really you should have Springer in that list as the one and Actually, does Chapman? He's still he's still hitting behind Varsho though, so he's the five. But yeah, depending on the 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 day. There's a righty on the mound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I mean, I wouldn't want to navigate that lineup. No, no. (laughs) I mean, the 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 Jays and Varsho is kind of ice cold right now. Springer is statistically, but. I think he had five balls at 105 miles an hour or harder line drives for outs against the, the Astros in this series. They all had, um, you know, ex- expected batting averages on, on the, on the ball of like 700 and he was all, they were all outs. So I'm not worried about Springer and I'm not worried about Varsho. Really that top five in the order should be really dangerous all year. Absolutely. 
And if they keep pitching to Kevin Kiermeyer, like you said, um, then the bottom of the order <laughs> extends. Yeah, if they, keep, if they keep throwing him fastballs, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's only hitting four ten. Sorry, three twenty-seven. Uh, yeah, horrible. Yeah. What are you gonna do? He hasn't walked yet. Who needs to walk when you're Kevin Kiermeyer? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, Vlad had a little bit of a power outage. He hit like uh, with three thirteen or something with thirteen or three twenty-seven. I don't know. 10 games, 13 singles. Um, and then last night he finally launched one out the nice short uh, right uh, field, right center kind of porch in Houston. Um, does Vlad hit anything but line drives, though? I mean, this is kind of the thing with Vlad, right? He has this prodigious power. He hits the ball harder than anybody in the game. But he has a line drive swing. It'll be interesting to see how that actually plays out with the new taller fences in the dome. I think it's going to hurt Vlad. Well, except for those balls to center field, because more of those will be home runs. But everywhere else, I think he's going to have some home runs turn into singles because he hits them so hard and they go right to the outfielders. But it's not something to worry about. As long as Vlad is hitting the ball and in the air, which he is still doing a lot of, and not and, and taking walks, you you know the home runs are going to come as they you just alluded to that it it did. Um, another sort of uh, just weird side note: Alejandro Kirk, who started off cold, has an on base percentage of three seventy three. Yeah, and that's that's a, a skill that I don't think Kirk's ever going to lose. He has incredible command of the strike zone. He's striking out a little more this year than you'd expect, but. When he starts hitting the ball hard again, which, again, he should and will, he's that good a hitter because his command of the zone, he doesn't chase really ever. Which, yeah, uh, it, it's one of those, like, this will get you through even if you're cold because you're still getting on base, um, which is uh, a, a wonderful blessing to have in the catcher spot. Um, do you want to talk about uh, the bullpen? Or do you specifically want to talk about Jordan Romano? I think Romano, well, no, we'll start with Romano and then we'll get to the, the general bullpen. Yeah, uh, Romano did what, what, what I call commitment to the bit last night. He had a four out save um, because things were getting a little dicey with, uh, was it Tim Meza was having yep. trouble? Um, so he ended up coming in in the eighth, which John Schneider and even, even uh, Charlie Montoyo have used him that way multiple times. So it's not a big big step but he threw 15 pitches how many sliders josh 14 <laughs> if it's working use it you know it's funny he gave up a single on the one fastball <laughs> <laughs> that'll teach you that'll teach you to vary from your from what's working he's gonna be the bizarro jake mcgee no fastballs uh didn't trevor hoffman uh famously just just lean on the slider endlessly when he was no no, no hoffman was a changeup. Was it what's the change up? And who was I thinking of? No, no, it was Turk Wendell was the guy who would like only threw sliders, but you know, Trevor Hoffman was famed for his his Bugs Bunny changeup. Yeah. There was I now it's gonna bother me. Anyway, um there there was a, a, a closer I remember coming in through seven sliders in a row, and I thought, this is a man who knows what his job is. Yeah. And the thing that Romano is doing this year, and we talked about it, he started doing this at the end of last year. I remember it really first being noticeable in that pirate series that they went and swept in the beginning of September, he's throwing two different sliders. He's got the one that goes almost straight down. And he has one that has 
a considerably more horizontal break, which if you're throwing both of them, it's a lot easier to throw 14 out of 15 sliders because even if the person knows a slider is coming, they don't know which way it's going to move. Right. Um, yeah. So he continues to be, except for that one time in, in California, uh, the guy you want to go to when the game is on the line. Um, do you want to, how do we get to Jordan Romano? Has that changed significantly in the past week or so? Well, I don't think it has. The Mesa, I didn't get going to Tim Mesa there. So Tim Mesa, he's okay. Like, he's been fine. But Eric Swanson's here for a reason. He did. So Jordan Alvarez was up when when the pitching change was made to go to Mesa. First and second, one out. Was Alvarez... I can't even remember who the five hitter was. And then Tucker, lefty, righty, lefty. That's what Swanson's for, because he's really good against lefties and righties. Of course, Meza did it backwards. Both the lefties got hits off of him. But I just, <laughs> to me, Tim Meza should not be the eighth inning in a close-ish game guy, no matter who's coming up. That's, if you have Eric Swanson available, that's when he, that's his spot. Meza's the, you know, early in the earlier in the game, the sixth inning when there's a lefty coming up and... You know, you want to just get out of it and not have to burn a guy early in the game. Apparently, John Schneider doesn't agree with you, and much to his uh, detriment, uh, you appear to have been more correct last night. Yeah. Um, second base. Does, does anybody want this job? <laughs> um, well, Santiago Espinal sure doesn't. I don't know what's going on with him. He's hitting 116 with a 162 on base, or sorry, 114 with a 162 on base, a 200 slugging. Made an error on a routine ground ball. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, he's been awful, like just truly terrible. And then Biggio hasn't been any better. 138 with a 242 on base and 241 slugging. At least Merrifield is hitting for batting average. He's got no power, but he's never had much i mean he's entering today he was hitting 292 with a 333 on base it seems like merrifield should just have the job until he loses it it doesn't make sense to keep rolling these other guys out with regularity because they're just not performing well yeah and and uh, you you can kill a rally the easiest way to kill a rally is to put some somebody with a 100 batting average in in the midst of your lineup it's a it's a painful thing to watch um Blue Jays did make a move. Uh, Luplau, who was supposed to come in and hit lefties, I feel like he didn't really do any of that, really. I mean, he struck out 57% of the time here. Um, <laughs> I know, that was like seven seven plate appearances. Um, and uh, Lucas is up again. Yeah, I don't think it actually has anything to do with Luplau's performance because he, he had, like he said, seven plate appearances. He just didn't have time to get anything going. But... The Jays are in an unusual stretch where they might not face a left-handed starter for three weeks. That's that seems a long time. Yeah, and it, it's crazy. <laughs> um, they, he was specifically called up, or the switch was made before this Astros series because without Framber Valdez starting, the Astros do not have a left-handed pitcher other than him on their roster. They don't have a reliever who's left-handed. So, yeah, get all the left-handed bats you can, and then. Again, there are no starters that are lined up to face him that throw left-handed for a while. So, 
why not? I mean, it, it just makes more sense to maximize your op- your options. And then he's starting in the game that we're recording during because they wanted to give Springer a day at DH, and they did not want to throw one of the other second basemen in there and put Merrifield in the outfield. <laughs> so maybe Merrifield has a has a firmer grip on the job than we think. Well, he should. That's fair. I, you know, I can't can't <laughs> argue with that. All right. Um, that is the week that was, or the five days that were, in, uh, in the history of the Blue Jays. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with a couple of questions from you nice listeners. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. A brief pause is good for uh, the soul. That's what I always say. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's, that's an old saying where I come from. Uh, I also like to say we are happy to answer your question. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Sometimes our listeners are aligned in their thoughts and, and they don't even know it. Um, because our, our two questions are basically a very similar question. Colleen Evans at Colleen Evans 6 says, is it possible that the Blue Jays starting pitchers need to warm up differently or longer? Uh, in response to the uh, John Schneider making a comment about how the Blue Jays have an 11.65 ERA in the first inning, and that's a difficult hole to climb out of. Uh, and then Jarrett S. at JRod19 says, do you think there's anything concerning that needs to be fixed with regards to the Jays' first inning ERA, or is it just a random small sample size aberration? I think it's the latter. But without having you know, done any kind of deep dive, it might be something with their pitch mix or the way they're attacking hitters early in games or... Or the way hitters are approaching them early in games, really, could, or it could be any kind of things. Like, if, for example, the Manoa one, he just couldn't throw strikes. You know, like there's no reason that that should happen, whether you warm up for a long time or not. I mean, strike throwing is just mechanics. So, I think it's an early season aberration. But if it keeps happening, I will do a deep dive and see if there's anything noteworthy going on because that's not a good thing. <laughs> No, no, it's it's uh, the worst sort of thing um, because <clears throat> there's there's nothing like trying to come back all the time and not being able to uh, not being able to find your footing, you know, in in any circumstance. Yeah, I don't know. I would be discouraged. I remember there was a, I don't remember which year it was. It was like 2014, 2013, where the Blue Jays had lousy starting pitching. And it was a season of mostly trying to come back. And even if you do it a few times, it does wear on on you as a fan. I'm sure it's not easy as a team to to, to be like, not just we got to get one on the board. Like we got to get four to get back in this game is, is, a, is a tough mental spot to be in. 
Well, even 2015 was like that for the first two months or three months. Yep. And people may forget that the Jays were like not – they were under 500 when they first made the trade for Troji Lewitsky, I think. They were, I think they were game under. Yeah. They were the 500-est team ever despite having like a plus 60 run differential or something. They, they sat at 500 for the better part of a month. Yeah, and, and they but they had this habit of just getting bombed out early and then climbing back because their offense was prodigious. But it does it does wear on a team. It's it makes it very very hard. And as you said, on a fan, it's like when Gossman gives up seven in the first, it's like okay, well that this game's over. It's like the, the first inning and this game is over. Yeah, I mean that's not statistically the way it happens, but it's like what win percentage was ninety nine point three or something after the first first inning. Yeah. And then, you know, Manoa, it's like three down, three, nothing before you've even had a chance to bat. It is. It's hard. Yeah. This team has um, a lot of uh, of ways to climb out of that hole, though. I think if, if any any Blue Jays offense I've seen, this one does appear to be more well-rounded in terms of its ability to put runs up on the board. Yeah, well, they definitely, you know, with the left-right balance, the approach balance you know there's guys that swing away and guys that are very patient regardless of what side of the plate and then you know there's the speed element and the bunting and base running and all of that yeah um so i i think going forward if if they can just get the starting pitching to normal in the first inning by again i i agree with you i think it's just a fluke um by just rolling the same guys out there chris bassett had no problem in the first uh, Jose Barrios had didn't we waited till the second to have problems today? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So Barrios was pitching really well, and then with two outs, he hit Jeremy Pena, not a good hitter, walked the seven hitter, and then gave up a double to the eight hitter. It's like, come on! You navigate the top five in the in their in their lineup, which is so good, and then they have the trouble with those guys. <laughs> uh baseball. What can you do? Um, strikes is what you can do oh yeah you could to the really poor hitters that's that's definitely a thing you could try i'll uh i'll send that to mr barrios but before i can do that i believe we have to hand out a gold star i think that's rather brilliant so i did good right i mean i would have thought you'd get a gold star you enjoy that you've earned it to sportsnet josh are we feeling okay (laughs) (laughs) hey Every now and then, someone does. People do some great things, and they did a great thing. Uh, you know, Jordan Romano has this big entrance, this big dramatic thing. It's never been shown on TV. For, I don't know why it wasn't before. Although apparently, it took a year to get it to the point where it wasn't obtrusive, according to a really good article by Kate, Caitlin McGrath on the Athletic. People should read that. But uh, paywall. They started. Uh, yes, it does have a paywall. But the Blue Jays. They held a lead in the ninth, into the ninth, and here comes Jordan Romano, and they did not cut to a commercial. They followed him from behind as though the fans were walking behind Jordan Romano into the mound. You could hear his music. You could see the light show. It was awesome. Gets even better. They're going to do it all season. Yep. Every game that he pitches, uh, maybe they won't do it if he comes into a every, I believe every, every save situation he yeah. pitches in <laughs> is what you're going to see um i am i am excited because it, it is an acknowledgement of of i don't want to call it the sanctity of the game because i mean that's a bit much 
but it's an acknowledgement that the focus should be on what's happening on the field, not the 17 things you promote between the third out and the next pitch of the next half inning. It, it, it turns it over to keep you in the game at a big moment. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed, there's supposed to be drama here. And I really don't need to see another DraftKings ad before my drama comes back. Yeah. And, and they stayed with it through the entire, they did not go to break at all. Like they stayed yeah. with him as he was warming up, which is fantastic. I could have seen them be like, okay, you saw his entrance. Now he's warming up. We're going to the commercial to see your DraftKings. Yeah. Or Bet365 or whatever, whatever. gambling <laughs> site it is today. Well, look at us. Not sponsored. Plugging them. Not yeah, we sponsored. should bleep those. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I wonder if the Edwin Diaz entrances going completely viral last year sort of woke them up. And then, you know, the, cl- the Sportsnet shared the clip and it had 100,000 views in no time. Yeah, I people mean, people want this. They love this. Yeah, yeah. So read, good on them. Like, read I, the uh, whatever room. the reasons, and they did. They, did. <laughs> you pulled up mine. Yes, a hundred percent. So yeah, a big, big fat gold star for the Sportsnet production team, who not only uh, thought to do it, but made it happen in a way that it was. It's very, like you said, it's very intimate that you are right behind Jordan Romano with the cameraman coming out behind him. Um, yeah, the 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 the. With that deep focus camera too, or actually shallow focus camera. I don't know if you've noticed that on the broadcast. I love that camera. I want to yeah, marry they use that it a camera. lot, especially on home runs. Yeah, they'll, tra- they'll track the guy coming in towards the plate, and they'll track the guy running out of the plate on the swing. It's it's a really cool camera. It looks like you're filming an old Sports Illustrated photo shoot. You know oh, what I mean? I like that. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. All right. Um, I think we've covered just about everything. So this is the part of the podcast where I ask you if you had a final thought. Yeah, I, I'll make it a combo one because there's something I meant to mention earlier and I forgot. So my, the thing I was going to say earlier is that there's a problem with the way the Jays bullpen is built that has come up a little bit. They built a, a bullpen that has some really high-end guys in it. Pop, Swanson, Garcia, Romano, and then some Quality guys, Mesa Simber, but right now Bass and, well, Richards has been pitching all right, but like those are your seventh and eighth relievers, the way they're being deployed. That's clearly their roles. They're out of options. Your seventh and eighth relievers should not be your out of options guys because right now they have Nate Pearson sitting in the minors. He's thrown seven and a third innings. He struck out 15 batters and given up two <laughs> runs. Yeah. What is that guy doing in the minor leagues? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting problem to have, but yeah, you're stuck in a DFA situation. You should have somebody in that bullpen with options who's not Nate Pearson. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to be really interesting when Mitch White eventually comes back. Now, this could work itself out on this end because he might not be back for a month. But if they are still healthy, he they can't send Pop down if he keeps pitching like this, which means they'll have to cut someone. And I just think that that's a bit of a... Like a lot of people thought the Jays were going to trade one of these guys, but was specifically Richards or Simber trade one of those two because of the right-handed depth that they had. And they had Swanson as the ready lefty guy. Mm-hmm. They didn't. And they've created this problem for themselves, which I think is not ideal. Sorry. The actual final thought that I was going to share though, 
is that reliever stats are really dumb. <laughs> I'm not right going to actually, just so you know, I'm not going to ask you for a penultimate thought next week. Just <laughs> thank God. <laughs> so right now, Yimmy Garcia is sitting here with a 6.75 ERA. In the last game, he came in, got out of the inning that Bassett left a runner on or two. Garcia came in, got an out and the inning. Got an out or two outs to end the inning. And then he got an out in the eighth. And he gave up an infield single where Bo had some trouble getting it out of his glove. And an infield single where Chapman tried to make a sliding play and ticked it into the outfield and went to first and third. Both those balls were hit under 80 miles an hour. Tim Meza came in, gave up two rocket singles. <laughs> so, <laughs> But those aren't his runs. <laughs> not only are they not his runs, Meza gets credited with a hold. <laughs> <laughs> Reliever stats are so stupid. Uh, it's it's one of those we started doing it one way and we we can't back out now like we can't we can't turn turn our back on it now because it would screw up all the old statistics and we don't want to recalculate them. It sort of feels that way. Hilarious. Uh, my final thought is a completely self-serving one, Josh. Okay. Did you know we have a Patreon? We do. Uh, if you if you scooch over to www.patreon.com/turfpod. Uh, uh, you will find our Patreon there. Uh, we, for our, our lovely patrons, hi, everybody, um, are going to have a um, live chat on our Discord server on Friday night this week. Um, we will continue doing them uh, throughout the season as uh, our many, many patrons have taken us up to that reward level for, for our Patreon. Um, if you would like to join us, what you need there is uh, to, uh, to sign up and uh, we'll give you access to the Discord server and we can all hang out and have a chit-chat about the game as it happens on Friday night. And for our current patrons, we'll send out another email to you just as a reminder with the, with the information to sign up in case you didn't do it the first time. Yeah, if you lost the Discord invite, don't worry. There, we, there's plenty more where those came from. Which is to say, uh, you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 265, and we will talk at you next week. Mm -hmm.